Hey, Fresh Capital listeners, we're back to break down another interesting company, Xiaomi, a Chinese powerhouse of consumer electronics. As we discuss in this episode, Xiaomi doesn't neatly fit into any box. It's the second largest manufacturer of phones, so some consider it to be China's equivalent of Apple. But as we break down, Xiaomi is about so much more than just phones, as it leads the charge for Internet of Things or IoT connected devices. Keep listening and enjoy. Welcome to another episode of Fresh Capital. Every week, we provide a refreshingly simple way to learn about companies and investing. My name is Dan. Joining me as always, Albert. How are you? Dan, I'm good. I'm good. This will release next week, but twice in a weekend that we're recording a pod. It's um, yeah, it's good fun. Keeps me out of trouble. Yeah, this is sort of a behind the scenes. We're doing a, a double episode this weekend for our recording. Obviously, we'll space them out when they actually publish. But a long weekend here in Australia, it's a good time to take advantage of it and just bank some episodes. So, you know, for listeners who listened to our Fortescue Medals uh, episode last week, this is like a really interesting change of pace because I felt like Fortescue Medals was a little bit outside of, you know, the sphere that we usually talk about, Albert, but Xiaomi is definitely like really back in to our like circle of competence. And so I'm really interested to see our views now that we've just sort of had a palate cleanse from Fortescue Medals. For those that don't know, Xiaomi is uh, a Chinese designer and manufacturer of consumer electronics and related software, home appliances, etc. Behind Samsung, it's the second largest manufacturer of smartphones in the world and albert this is like a discussion we're having just before we started recording why isn't it fair just to say xiaomi is a smartphone company let's start there yeah just a quick aside dan i I really like when we talk about kind of these chinese or southeast asian tech companies because what they do is just so different to what western tech companies do and like western tech companies would not even fathom what half these, you know, companies in China do. Um, and so this will be like a really interesting theme because how Xiaomi have structured out their business is not what any other Western country would ever do. Uh, so, you know, great overview. Xiaomi is indeed the second largest smartphone vendor. They started with smartphones and still produce um, today a, a pretty broad range of phones. Um, they've got a flagship phone at the moment. Their Xiaomi 12 Pro They've also got a bunch of low-cost phones as well as a low-cost phone line that they call uh, the Redmi. Um, But since launching their phone a number of years ago, Xiaomi have started to kind of expand across the entire Internet of Things IoT stack of products uh, to be predominantly a consumer hardware business. Uh, And what they do, because you can imagine if you're predominantly a phone manufacturer, it would be really hard to start producing a bunch of other products you know, I can list out a few here. They've got scooters, they've got air purifiers, which are, you know, one of their top selling products. And it's actually the, the number one air purifier company in China. They do smart locks, they do smart TVs, um, headphones, they do shavers, they do so many different things. And they've built kind of this platform business model that lets them offer all these products. So, what Xiaomi do as a business is that they take minority investments 
in other hardware startups in China and then work with those companies to then co-brand that product and then manufacture it and distribute it through Xiaomi's own channels. So the value prop for Xiaomi is that they get access to all these different product lines without having to spend time building expertise, teams, etc. And the benefit for their partners is that they can then leverage the brand, the manufacturing and the distribution that Xiaomi have, as well as Xiaomi's technology stack, MIUI, which we'll talk about. So to kind of play it back, Xiaomi's built out a portfolio of companies and they've got more than 120 companies now that they've taken minority investments in that then let them offer their hardware as Xiaomi products. And just to peel it back a bit, like this is not something no other Western country or company would do. Like, can you imagine Amazon trying to do this? Like they would want to obsess and own every company. Like Apple would want to own every company. Like Western culture in business is all about M&A and taking the entire slice of the pie. Where in China, I think they're more happy and the playbook is to build those ecosystem partners. So thematically, it's really interesting to contrast when you talk about like Western versus Chinese tech companies, how different the playbook is. Yeah, I mean, and as you're talking about that, it just reminds me of our Tencent uh, episode where again, a similar sort of idea where they're just taking lots of stakes in various companies. Uh, I mean, an interesting one in terms of a Western comparison would be a company like Uber, which arguably does take a lot of minority stakes in uh, mobility companies across the world. Slightly different because usually that's when they pull out of a particular location and they just sort of invest in the competitor that's taking over them, say in India or China, and so they remain with sort of a stake in the company there. But it, it is interesting, as you say, Albert, how they've been building these synergies up from having these interests in all these various companies. But then I, I want to I want to challenge you and sort of bring it back to this idea of Xiaomi as a phone company or something more. You know, they've got 450 million monthly active smartphone users. It is their, by far, you know, their most successful product, the product with the greatest sort of penetration, their flagship product. Is this an example of them just having fingers in too many pies? Because, you know, I can understand if they're looking at manufacturers that have devices related to phones, but if they're making things like e-scooters, rice cookers, is this just them being a little bit too distracted? Like how do you, as a consultant now, but how do you view them as a cohesive business? I think it depends on how you want to frame what this business is trying to do. So, uh, you know, the CEO of Xiaomi, the way he thinks about the business, which really talks about what they're going to be, is he sees Xiaomi as, I want my customers to come into my store and be able to shop with their eyes closed so that any product that they buy is going to be really, really great. And he sees them as more than a phone company. He sees them as like the consumer hardware connected device business. And so when you talk about having their fingers in lots of different pockets of the business, like it is concerning when you own that entire stack and you would need to hire you know, engineers to build out an air purifier or an air conditioner or a smart lock. But because Xiaomi don't do that, the, the, it's com- not completely de-risk, but it's more de-risked when you think about this business as a portfolio of other businesses 
rather than a company that has all these individual BUs. Because trying to optimize for BUs who do all these different things would be something as a consultant, I'd be like, are you really the natural owner of all these different product lines? But because Xiaomi have taken a portfolio and platform approach, like I think they can leverage their core competency, which is like customer channel distribution, and then work closely with their ecosystem partners. Yeah, so I mean, they're, and it's changed slightly over time, but consistently this is sort of their, their mission statement, which they have as a company. Uh, they're more than a hardware company. They're an innovation-driven internet company. Xiaomi is an internet company of smartphones and smart hardware connected by an IoT platform at its core. Our mission is to relentlessly build amazing products with honest prices to let everyone in the world enjoy a better life through innovative technology. So that that really cuts to the heart of what you're saying, Albert. They're more than just the phone. It's about this platform which connects with Internet of Things. Maybe that's where we should dive in a little bit deeper. What do we mean when we talk about Internet of Things and what does Xiaomi think when they talk about Internet of Things? Yeah, when, you know, Internet of Things really refers to a concept that like devices are connected to the internet and, and work seamlessly together. So, you know, the classic example, um, you know, in consumer life at the moment, are like smart speakers, like you can control your speaker through your phone, your speaker's connected to the internet. So, you know, hey, Alexa, um, you know, tell me the recipe for this. I won't say uh, Siri because it'll trigger my phone because my phone's right next to me. But, um, you know, like, hey, Google, like, tell me this. And so, that integration of a device and the internet is what people describe as IoT. And where Xiaomi has started to take that philosophy um, and started to build it out is, like, they've got all these devices that are connected to the internet. So, like, their speakers are connected to the internet. Your air purifier is connected to the internet, which means you can start to control all these devices from their app or from their phone if you're using a Xiaomi phone. And that brings up a really, you know, a common example we use, which is sort of like the network effect where if you're the dominant player and as a consumer, my speakers are Xiaomi, my air purifiers Xiaomi, my phone's Xiaomi, and I'm considering what next consumer electronic good I want to sort of have for my home, you, you naturally build up an ecosystem of these products. You get some loyalty with the brand, assuming that you've got a good experience, et cetera. And in some ways that reminds me of Apple where they sort of built out from their computer having all these devices um, where it's like, you know, you can sync your phone much more quickly if you've got a MacBook. And, and so you have this, this synergy there. What's the, the future for Xiaomi, Albert? Like, I, I really, I think you're much more bullish than I am. So why don't you lay your cards down and tell us why you're so bullish on Xiaomi? I think like, so they, they say they've got about 430 million IoT devices that they've sold. Uh, and all, of those uh, 434, they, they estimate about, you know, 9 million of their users have five or more devices. That works out to be, you know, just about 2% of their like customer base are like devout, loyal Xiaomi followers who have five or more products. So they're really starting to spin that like network effect internally of using Xiaomi to power different parts of their business. I think the way I see it is like this number will continue to grow as a percentage of Xiaomi's user base. If Xiaomi can continue to partner with companies 
and find the next great product for their ecosystem. It's like, you know, my, my parents listen to this. My, my parents have a smart Bluetooth-enabled um, garage door opener. So instead of getting out of the car to open the garage door as they go back into their, like, car spot, they just press the button on their phone and it, you know, opens. Is that really smart? I feel like that technology has been around for 10 years, Albert. Oh, uh, yeah, of course, of course. But, you know, it's all, it's all connected. So, right. And, and that, that itself, while the technology has been around for a long time, like consumer habits haven't yet adapted to that view of the world where you can start to connect your phone to different things. And, again, I won't mention him because he does listen to this pod, so I don't want to call him out. But like a mate of mine... Um, spent time setting up his new apartment um, to be like phone connected for lights, for curtains, so that he can control lights in his room with his phone. He can control curtains with his phone. Um, so I think where the world is going is that the convenience of using your phone as an extension of you will continue. And as part of that, you're going to be able to control different things in your home or in your life through an app or through your phone. So, this is going to bring me to my first challenge, Albert. And I think from the sounds of things, we're doing a little bit of red team, blue team in this episode. Um, so, you're bullish on Xiaomi and I think I'm a little bit skeptical. So, one of the things that a lot of analysts are sort of keying in on is that they've just undergone a rebranding. It's kind of clear that they're wanting to position themselves as you know a little bit more premium. They want to start taking market share from Samsung and Apple, and if you're just talking about the smartphones, and I know Xiaomi's got a lot of other products, you know, the, their average selling price for their phones is about 40 to 75% cheaper than Samsung and Apple, respectively. So they're definitely in a lower tier price point. If we're talking about living in a home with IoT devices connected everywhere and everything's connected to your phone, you're talking about you know, a higher socioeconomic status consumer. And that's not necessarily the markets which they're playing in. They're, they're really expanding out to India, for example. Obviously, they're really big in China. So, is that a mismatch? I love that you brought this up because this is something actually at the forefront of the founding team and the CEO's mind, which is like, how do we offer our products at the right price point so that everyone can take advantage of this kind of innovation in us in our business. So it's not great for investors, but Xiaomi actually purposely keep the margin for their phone at 5%. Like it's, that's incredibly low. And for context, I think Apple's making about a margin, um, you know, 30-ish percent for their iPhone. Um, like when I say profit margin, it's profit margin. They make about 11% gross margin, which is tiny. That's incredibly small. And they've said that in each year that, we exceed a 5% net margin for our phone, we are going to return that money back to our customers. So, Xiaomi are purposely keeping their product at an incredibly low price point. And this has helped their market share, Dan, because you talk about taking market share from Samsung. Like Samsung is the number one player, but Xiaomi is the second player. And they've got, you know, number one spots in parts of Asia, parts of Europe, parts of Western Europe, and number two spots in a bunch of other countries as well. Like as they continue to flood the market with cheaper phones, like they're just naturally going to take market share. 
So in order to climb that, you know, a couple of percentage points different in market share, I can see Xiaomi doing that absolutely. So this will lead me to the second challenge, Albert, and it sort of takes up a point which you cutely messaged me uh, when you decided or when you suggested that we do Xiaomi as an episode. You were like, hot take, it's sort of, it's the Chinese Apple. It's going to be the next Apple. And I think the reason why Apple is the gold standard, you know, for, for many reasons, obviously, but one of the reasons is they have a fiercely loyal customer base that pay premium prices. And the issue I see with, I mean, I think it's a good strategy that they're pricing really, really perfectly, getting penetration to the market, and it's been very successful in India. But an issue of that, you could say, is that isn't loyalty. That is people going to the best product for the right price point. And if another product is produced at a better price, then their market share will move accordingly. And so just for example, in India, and I I think it would be fairly common around the world, about 52% of smartphone users change their primary smartphone after about two years of use. So like they're playing in a marketplace which is you know, inherently fickle because people change their products reasonably quickly uh, and they're pricing it or rather they're competing in a fashion which is based on price, which I don't think engenders loyalty in the same way that Apple has got a loyal following. Yeah, I think, you know, when I, when I talk about I think they're going to be or they're analogous to Apple, I think about that in terms of their ruthlessness to the user and customer experience. Like Xiaomi are so focused on delivering a great customer experience that they have a forum where they interact with customers every single day. Like if you work in the product team at Xiaomi, you have to go to this forum and spend hours talking to customers. And customers can then upvote different things that they want to see in, you know, me UI, um, on their phones, as a new product line. And then Xiaomi will then either make it or look into making it, respond, should build these features, ship these products. Like Xiaomi update me UI, that's their like app and their UI interface, once a week. Like Apple is not rolling out updates to iOS once a week. Android is not rolling out updates to their product every single week. Like to me, this is incredible how focused they are on trying to build the best customer experience. And so when I think about them and Apple, who are also ruthless in terms of how they build a great customer experience. Like if you've ever bought an iPhone and you've pulled it out, the box is purposely geared up to actually open up really slowly because it's trying to build anticipation. Like it's a box, like who cares? But that's like the ruthlessness of where Apple thinks about what is the experience we want to give our customers and how do we optimize for that in every aspect? And Xiaomi do exactly the same thing which is like what is the experience our customers want to have when they interact with all our products? How do we do that in everything that we do? I like that you brought up MIUI. So maybe let's let's switch tracks a little bit. Samsung has got its own operating system, Android. Apple has got its own operating system, iOS. Xiaomi has, has recently moved to having its own operating system, MIUI. But that's actually only in the Chinese market, like with their phones and stuff globally, they're piggybacking on the Android system, iOS. 
just conceptually, why is it so important for these hardware phone companies to also own the IP of like the user interface as well? Like, what is what benefits does that bring? It's a, it's a really good question. It's so funny because um, when Apple were trying to own that entire stack of like iOS and the phone, everyone was like, "That is so dumb. Closed system. No one wants that." like Android's going to win. Everyone wants things to be modular and open source. And now you look at it and it's like Apple can deliver a superior experience because they control every aspect of the IP and the technology within their phone. And, you know, Xiaomi is on their way. They are leveraging Android as a base to build their MIUI product in outside of China. And so as they find, they continuously fine-tune that, you know, through these weekly updates like they are starting to own that as like a, not just a skin or a fork of Android, but actually as its own standalone product. And the importance of that is that you can then optimize for the best experience. And I think until other players start to recognize and own this in the same way that Apple have, you're never going to entirely own that customer experience. And Xiaomi want to do that. So I'm sure they'll get there eventually assuming regulations permit. And I think that's always the challenge <laughs> with Chinese businesses, right? <laughs> well, I mean, I'll get to that in a moment, but just piggybacking on your point there, yeah, I, a friend of mine recently bought a new phone and they were sort of saying how it, it's it's such a, a mind switch to go from using an Apple phone for several years and now they're onto Android and just like things aren't intuitive in the interface. A button where you think it should be here is, is somewhere else and it's just it's difficult to navigate and this goes, I think, to having a differentiated product in the market. A key factor of having a premium a premium product isn't just you know the price point and things like that. It, it's just the fact that consumers can differentiate between your product and a different product. And a really easy way to do that, well, it's not easy rather, but a really important way to do that is I think to have your own uh, user interface and that's why I like that Xiaomi is moving in that direction because it doesn't really matter if their hardware is, is as good as it could possibly be if they're running that Android system I feel like you know when you look at phones these days they all look very very similar it's you know a big square piece of glass sort of a metallic backing it's got a, a bunch of cameras on it. it unless you've got a user interface that's different it's very difficult, I think, to differentiate a product otherwise. But on your point about the sort of regulations and particularly coming out of China, I was pleasantly surprised to sort of dive in and, and work out that Xiaomi is probably best positioned out of a lot of these Chinese tech companies. Because if you look at all of the regulatory crackdowns that are happening in China, it's under this sort of core theme of breaking up monopolies why was Alibaba sort of shot down before its IPO? It's because they're everywhere. They're across apps. They're into banking and finance. They're in consumers' like everyday lives, shopping habits, et cetera. Uh, same with Tencent. I mean, we talked about all of the businesses that they own. They're just you know monopolistic in the amount of interest that they have and the way they can really you know control the supply and demand of, of some of their products. Where Xiaomi actually has a benefit is they're in a super competitive marketplace. Phones are really, really competitive and not just you know Samsung and Apple competing with them. They got Vivo, Oppo, 
uh, in China itself, competing with them tremendously, it's really hard, I think, to see a regulator looking for monopolistic companies and coming down hard on Xiaomi because they're just playing in a space which is super, super competitive. Yes, they've got a lot of products, but where they're winning is just because they got better products. It's not because the marketplace is being pressured in a monopolistic way. So I think actually, like if you're looking across the Chinese in, uh, in marketplace for an investment and you're worried about regulations, I kind of think Xiaomi is, is actually one of the safer ones. Yeah, I think it's also worth noting that, like, you know, one of the biggest markets in the world, well, in the Western world, is the US. And like Xiaomi don't sell products or they don't sell their phone in the US. It's like if you want to buy a Xiaomi phone in the US, you've got to go through a bunch of other channels, third-party providers, etc. And so while there is obviously a lot of like anti-Chinese sentiment in America, especially coming out of um, you know the Trump administration, etc., I, I think that you're right. Like Xiaomi is really well positioned because their eye is on markets like Western Europe and markets like India and markets internally in China and in Southeast Asia because those are markets that are huge. Like there are billions of people in those markets. Like why would you try to sell to a heavily saturated market where Apple and Samsung have had dominance or Apple and Google have had dominance for a number of years in a market that's only 320 million where there's like a growing middle class in India that you could start to attach to, you know, with hundreds of millions of people. I really like that because it sort of twigs into my international relations minor at university. Um, I think a lot of people make a lot of United States, China, conflict. You know, the world's going to be sort of split down the middle. There's going to be countries that align with the United States and they're going to support products from those jurisdictions and China's going to have its own sort of, you know, Cold War type sphere where their products circulate within there. If that's the case... The, the winner is probably going to be China in the sense of smartphones. Because if you look at the largest smartphone markets in the world, and this is you know not population, this is smartphone users, China's got 954 million, by far the most. India's got about 500 million, and they're not necessarily aligned with the United States in terms of embargoing Chinese products. United States is third, 274 million, great. Then's Indonesia, Brazil, Russia, and you have to wait till you get to Japan before you might find another jurisdiction that would, you know, sort of have uh, legislative settings against Chinese products. So the world's a really, really big place. And I think Chinese companies selling smartphones have got a really big runway, even if there is some big schism in geopolitics that splits countries into two camps. Yeah, I mean, even if there are geopolitical schisms, like in a schism or in a like a global kind of trade war, like people in China and people in India and all the other markets that Xiaomi play in, like they still need to buy phones. They still need to buy air purifiers, particularly in those countries. They still need smart locks. They still need TVs. Like the world keeps ticking on. And as we've seen, like with the global pandemic, like people still needed TVs. People still needed phones. People still needed PlayStations, even if they couldn't get them. And so, there is opportunity there if you believe that Xiaomi can be a key winner in the space. All right, but what do you want to talk about next with Xiaomi? What takes your fancy? I think well, the, the elephant in the room with Xiaomi is electric vehicles. Like Xiaomi have 
publicly committed to building an EV. And the EV space is also getting more competitive. Like they like playing in these kind of competitive markets and offering a low cost product. I think the, you know, the bull in me is like, you know, Xiaomi obviously creates really great low cost products for consumers, but that's kind of intention with the idea of building a car, like building an electric vehicle. It's not really something you can do at low cost because of the manufacturing required, the scale required, the team, the expertise, like all these nuances with building a car, you, especially when they're trying to release it by 2024. Like I don't think you can really build a low cost EV at scale by 2024. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it reminds me of Sony and I, I, this is the, the fun part of doing this pod, Albert, is we start to really build up a bank of companies that we've broken down and we can start to pat and recognize similar companies doing similar things or different companies doing similar things. Sony has invested into making its own car, but really they understand that that caps out as being as a concept. The idea being that through demonstrating a Sony car, which has Sony speakers and all the other sort of household consumer products built in within it, they can then go to Teslas, to Fords, to Toyotas and say, look, you can have our speakers here. Like this is how we've designed it in our car. You can just sort of take these products and plug them into your vehicles. And I wonder if that's where Xiaomi ultimately takes this EV idea. I wonder if they're going to produce a car, but they understand that like, you know, once you produce a car, that's great. You've got a prototype, but then there's another step to do what Tesla's done and start building gigafactories all over the world to start cranking out hundreds and thousands of the cars. I, I would tend to think, and this is all sort of speculative at this point, but I'll tend to think that that would go more the Sony route, which is, you know, we're more of a household consumer electronic product company. Let's just show this as a proof of concept of how our products can fit in cars and then do what we've always done, which is talk to the manufacturers of the actual products about how we can collaborate to get, you know, a really winning outcome where you can leverage our loyal customer base and, you know, we can get our products into your cars and distribute it that way. Yeah, and I, th- I think the other really great thing about doing this pod is that we crystallize what our opinion is at a particular point in time and we can look back and see, like, were we right or wrong? Like, Xiaomi is indicating to the market they are looking to release a prototype of their EV in the next 12 months. So, in 12 months' time, we'll, we'll have a good view of, like, is this actually a feasible thing for Xiaomi to be making like an electric vehicle. I think when I was reading um, some uh, analysis from uh, a substack called Value Punks, they outlined that Xiaomi had committed to an initial investment of $1.5 billion um, for a total of 10 bill over 10 years. Like I don't think that $1.5 billion is enough to get a prototype that you no. could then mass produce and scale by 2024, which is their, with their timeline that they've signaled to the market. Like you look at Tesla and the fact that Tesla have, you know, they can't even produce, they're, sorry, now starting to produce cars at the scale that they want. But think about all the trials that Tesla had to go through as a public markets company. And they got prepayments for their cars. Like customers had paid Tesla for cars that didn't exist yet. That's not the case with Xiaomi. And so, um, whether they can 
manufacture a car at scale to me is a bit uh, hard to believe. But you, you never know with Xiaomi because they haven't outlined like what is the model, how are they going to do it, are they going to partner, are they just going to brand, are they going to just do distribution, will they own it? Like there's all these unanswered questions that like we get to visit in 12 months' time when they do release their prototype. Yeah, it reminds me actually of, I was listening to a podcast about sort of media companies and it's talking about how Netflix subscriber base has sort of fallen a bit flat and sort of decreased by 200,000 subscribers. Would have been another good Simple Sprout episode if uh, the series wasn't on hiatus. Um, But the, the point that they were talking about on that podcast, which I think is relevant here, is the idea that like in the content sort of businesses where you've got the really big television networks and then you've got these streamer players, it's more of like a winner-take-all where like you just sort of acquire these companies so that you get all the IP and, and everything that comes with it. And in this EV space, I think it's much more about having minority investments and sort of like being there with your technology or whatever else because no one really wants to be the manufacturer and that's why you have like Volkswagen group which is made up of you know three or four separate brands within it you've got uh Renault I think which is you know an amalgamation of many many different car manufacturers within it um even within the traditional vehicle manufacturers you have a consolidation that's occurred and it's likely going to occur even further as electric vehicles sort of push into their their market share, I can't believe that Xiaomi, a phone company, internet company, if you really want to broaden them out, is seriously thinking about being like an electric vehicle manufacturer. It just it just doesn't make sense. Oh, I, I agree 100%. Like margins in hardware are always unattractive and then margins in automotive are probably like the most unattractive. Like the reason why Tesla has substantially better margins uh, compared to the rest of the automotive business is that they own every part of the stack, right? And they've managed to do that by raising money at, at their like kind of hype multiples in order to fund, you know, the factories and manufacturing, et cetera. But all of the other traditional car manufacturers have incredibly low margins. And when you look at Xiaomi and their philosophy to committing to low margins so that their consumers get access like it's like at what price point are these cars going to be delivered at? Like a 1% margin and 2% margin? If your phone's a 5% gross margin or 5% net margin, sorry. Like what's the net margin on your um, car? And then then I look at this and it's like, is this the right part of your portfolio to own as a company? Because it is so capital intensive to make cars. And the question's like, you're right, Dan. <laughs> what is a phone company doing making cars? But but the the question I'd put back to you is like the Apple car is one of the worst kept secrets in the world and Apple are trying to do exactly the same thing. And do you think Apple have the same challenge? I think they do, but I think a really good comparison actually is to look at semiconductors or computer chips, which as we know, Apple has gone sort of in-house with the design of the semiconductor, but they haven't tried to take on the manufacturing burden because, you know, clearly they recognize that (laughs) manufacturing is a really hard business as we're talking about here. 
And similarly, like I, I don't think Apple has its, correct me if I'm wrong, but Apple it doesn't have its own manufacturing capacities for the Apple car, right? It's well, more we, of a design, right? It is, it is a design. You know, there's rumors about they're partnering with Hyundai or another provider yep. um, or testing out, you know, whether they are going to acquire Tesla or, you know, all these rumors. But the, the certainty is that Apple will release a car. Yep. But I think it, it's, this is where we really have to understand the, the sort of chain here where just like with semiconductors, there's a big difference between um, semiconductor companies that design the chips like NVIDIA and then compared to the semiconductor companies that manufacture the chips like the Taiwan Semiconductor Company that we did an episode on. And to me, like Xiaomi is really mirroring Apple here in that even with their semiconductors, they've recently invested in a company that's taken a stake in it but it's a design semiconductor company. It's not a manufacturer one. And if, as a phone company, you're not willing to get into the manufacture of computer chips, which arguably is like uh, a strategic move which would synergize with your product line because you're starting to own more of the value chain of your, of your mobile phones, if they're not even willing to go there, why are they going to go into manufacturing for cars, which is like, on a, on a left track compared to their current product line. Yeah, and this is probably even a good segue into like if you look at the share price of Xiaomi, like it's dropped since from its IPO price, like it's fluctuated, it's rode that kind of COVID tailwind and then it has dropped. And part of it is like the chip shortage that's impacted it because as an IoT device, like one of your key inputs is a computer chip and a computer chip of many sizes. When there's a chip shortage globally, like you can't power your IoT device, you can't make them scale. There's also been increased competition in the smartphone market. But what really drives Xiaomi's performance and something that most investors don't look at because they're not reading annual reports and kind of the detail that, um, you know, someone who likes to dive into the accounting does. And they're not listening to fresh capital, that's for sure. <laughs> Is that because Xiaomi takes minority investments in other companies and the tech market has significant has cooled off significantly in the past kind of 18 months, like they are writing down their investments. And when you write down the investments of a company, that then impacts the value of that holding company or the, the subsidiary or the ownership group. And that's what happened here with Xiaomi. Like it's not just competition, the chip shortage that's impacted them. What's really impacted Xiaomi as a business is that the fact they've had to write down a bunch of their investments because they haven't performed or the market hasn't valued them at further growth after Xiaomi's invested. And I think that's a big risk with this business. It's like it holds a bunch of other businesses within its portfolio. Like it takes minority stakes. And if those businesses don't perform or the market decides to value them completely different to when Xiaomi invested, then that really impacts overall the value of Xiaomi as a business, even when other metrics are still growing. So, so what you're sort of talking about there, Albert, is from an accounting standpoint, if you know a company owns another company and they bought it for, let's say, a billion dollars, then that's on their books. And, you know, in some cases that looks really good because it adds to the value of the holding company. You know, it's got this other company worth a billion dollars. So if ever it was to be liquidated, there's a billion dollars sort of asset behind them there. But as you're saying, like, as accounting sort of uh, turns over, you revalue it, it's being written down to, let's say, half 
a billion dollars. And now if you look at the value of the holding company, it seems, you know, much, much less than what it was before because it's only got a $500 million asset sitting on its books. Even though in practice, nothing has really changed. It's sort of this, uh, you know, change in, in, in the paper that has occurred. That's sort of what you're talking about. Yeah, I guess the nuance is like because Xiaomi doesn't own these products or these companies, that Xiaomi wouldn't purposely write down the value of its own asset. Like if the market says this company that Xiaomi is invested in is worth $100 and Xiaomi takes 10%, so their share is worth, you know, $10. Two years later, market sentiments changed. They've said, actually, that company is only worth $50 now. Xiaomi's investment is now only worth $5 because, you know, 10% stake, half of that's gone. And so, what's happened in the market is that tech valuations have changed. And so, now the product is still selling and product sales are still growing and you can see that in Xiaomi's results. But market sentiment and how companies are being valued has changed, which then impacts the value of Xiaomi's like portfolio of investments, if you will. It's funny how, like, how changing one number in like an Excel model has just kind of like screwed this business over. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, what you're saying, Albert, is, is on paper it's, it's different, but the foundations, the actual fundamentals of the business are really solid. Oh, well, for sure. You know, when interest rates change, that's going to impact the business because that's how markets work. But, you know, you're still selling more product, which means the business is still growing. It's just how people value your business has changed rather than what the value of the business that you provide to your customers. This might be a good spot, Albert, to wrap up. Do you want to give us your verdict? Yeah. You know, I really like Xiaomi as a business because they just embody the philosophy of what it means to really value your customer and build something that is for your customer. I think if you believe that Xiaomi can be one of the key players in consumer IoT, then Xiaomi is going to be a very valuable company in the future. Yeah, uh, I think I've come around to liking them more than when we came into this episode, Albert. So, you've done a really good job there. But I, I still worry, and I know I've said this on other episodes, which is why I try and keep it consistent, is like this idea of lack of focus really bothers me about Xiaomi because I can understand having your finger in different pies as long as you sort of understand the purpose that you're you're doing that for. And when we talked about EVs, when we talked about um, some of the other products, I get this sense that they're saying one thing and it doesn't really make sense with the business as I see it, the strategy that I think they should sort of be locking into, which is smartphones, smartphones, smartphones. And I think you can, you can walk and chew gum at the same time. They can really invest into smartphones while doing these peripheries as well. But yeah, it just concerns me that they're not all in on the smartphone in the way that I'd, I'd expect a company like them to be. Yeah, I mean, we haven't even talked about their internet services business, which you yeah. know generates a substantially higher margin. Like it's more software-like with a 70%, 80% gross margin and it's predominantly advertising. Um, but, you know, this is always the, the key part of or a key challenge with a business that wants to expand to multiple product lines because you can't just be a phone business and you can see that with Apple and you can see that with Xiaomi and you can see that with Samsung because if you were just a phone business, you die. 
like case in point, like Nokia is the best example of that. Yeah, I, I agree with that. But then like, I just can't get over, I can't take the leap of faith, Albert, of from going, we can't just be a phone company. I agree with that. But then the leap of faith is, and so we're going to be a, an electric vehicle company as well. That, that's where I'm like, hold up, there should be a middle ground there somewhere. Yeah, no, it's a good point. It's a good point. It is capital intensive. I think the way it says like part part of the future of connectivity is your, your car is going to be connected to the internet. So if they want to be an IoT company, you have to be an automotive company as well. All right, Albert, let's finish up there. Thank you for listening to Fresh Capital, a podcast about companies and investing told in a refreshingly simple way. We love the support. We love the messages we receive. So please keep it up. Uh, We've actually finished our list of companies that we've got. We're going to obviously come up with a next list for the next month ahead of episodes. But if you've got any suggestions, um, you know, you know where to find us. We've got our email and our show notes. Send us a message. We'd love to cover a company that, that you want to learn more about. Thanks again and see you next week. Thank you for listening to another episode of Fresh Capital. Every week we provide a refreshingly simple way to learn how companies operate and how investing works. Just a reminder, All information contained in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional, financial, legal or tax advice. The hosts of Fresh Capital are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Any opinions expressed in the show are not recommendations or advice. Please consult a licensed financial professional before you jump in. As always, we look forward to seeing you next week. See ya.